Welcome to episode 43 of the Local Meta. My name is Fletcher. I have a strange sense of deja vu. Why? You should introduce yourself maybe first. I feel as if we've already had an episode 43. We have not, but you should introduce yourself first. My name is John. I'm the co-host. <laughs> <laughs> so, wh- why do you think we had an episode 43 already? That bonus episode was basically a real episode. It wasn't supposed to be. Yes. And I wasn't mentally prepared for that. <laughs> you weren't mentally prepared to actually talk about magic because... You no, were... you really you really went all serious business on me, and I'm a little disappointed because it feels like a waste. And you were in the middle of playing Final Fantasy VII while we were talking about stuff. <laughs> so, funny story... I was I was in the middle of playing Final Fantasy VII when we were talking about the whole first part, like during the whole first part of it, uh-huh. and I zoned out at part of you said at part of what you said, and then I just kind of started talking about my own thing. <laughs> um, and so, funny enough, I was playing Final Fantasy VII while I was kind of listening through and uh, editing the episode, mm-hmm. and I zoned out at the exact same part. I had to go back and listen to it twice <laughs> because I zoned out again. Actually, apparently, I was just super boring during that part or something. Yeah, you're just significantly less interesting than me, but significantly less interesting than Final Fantasy. I mean, I was just grinding, so it was not. I did it partway through the episode. I actually did stop playing the game because things got interesting. So, <laughs> congrats! You should be proud of yourself. Yeah, I'm interesting sometimes. <laughs> okay, so today's topic is I don't know. It's. I find this to be a fascinating topic, but I like the game designery stuff and magic and everything like that. So um, today we're going to be talking about mana, for lack of a more clear definition, I guess. That's <laughs> John, fair. Yeah, I mean, we got a lot of different things to talk about with this with this topic. I thought we had already kind of talked about this already, so I, I was surprised. Um, that we really didn't hit it yet. Well, I but. think we brought it up in a previous episode, but it was just like, as a, a side note, it wasn't like a pure dedication. And maybe that's what it was. Like, I don't know. Better we're we rehashing got, yeah. episode already, and we both forgot about it because we're old men. Yeah, usually I go look, sometimes I go look through episodes just to make sure we haven't done it already. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, so yeah, today we're going to be talking about various things with mana and magic. Um, and there's actually a lot here. Um, funny enough, this topic kind of came about because of a deck building thing we were doing together. And yeah, I don't know. I'm sure we'll get to that point when we, when we hit the whole mana thing. So John, I guess, where do you want to kick this off? Cause this is kind of, kind of your thing. All right. So first things first, a little caveat, Mana is the single most frustrating and obnoxious thing in all of Magic. You will hate mana more than you will hate the guy who keeps casting counterspells on your creatures. But mana is the reason why Magic is a good game. No, no. Magic is the mana is the reason why Magic is a great game. <laughs> like so the the mana system is one of the pure geniuses for the trading card genre like or the the card this type of card game genre like it 
it introduces so much complexity and so much like emotional influence that it just makes the game great. The fact that Richard Garfield thought of the mana system in the first card, like base, basically the, like one of the first card games ever created is astounding. Like, because this is the system I think that almost every game wants to have. Like, yeah, I mean, that's not 100% true from a game design perspective, but like the mana system, people complain about it so much, but it is this it is one of the one of the very few reasons that is that it's a pillar of magic. Like it really is. It is a pillar that makes the game phenomenal. Well, and then like, if you look at a lot of other card games, you know, like look at Pokemon <laughs> or like, oh. like so many things like they're trying to use their own version of the mana system mm-hmm. but I, don't, I actually don't even know maybe the mana system itself is like patented or copyrighted or whatever the hell you'd call it but um like they, they i don't tr- think it is actually like, but because you can you can't copyright like mechanics yeah like, games it's weird but but like you know they're they're trying to like do their own little tweaks and like the thing is those little tweaks are still flawed like, yeah, they they will ne- they can't make something that flows as smoothly or as efficiently as mana does because like Eternal did a really good job, but it's still a little different. Yeah, um, like yeah. Eternal did a good job, but Eternal also does it in such a way that like it's its, it's, its own little twist. And like I appreciate how Eternal went about it. Like I do yeah, like it. Like, mm-hmm. like I I like the Eternal system, but. And it's, I mean, it's debatably better than actual I don't mana. Know. It really depends, I don't know. right? Like, there's yeah. there's so much nuance involved in it, right? Yeah. Like, you understand why they did what they did. Exactly, yeah. It, and it makes sense. I don't, I don't argue it. But, like, <laughs> yeah, I, I've played a few CCGs that don't have, um, like, a, uh, a traditional mana system, per se. And there's problems with them in a lot of ways like it's being mana screw and mana flood are the enemies of magic players but they're very useful tools to actually have when designing this game but yeah like a lot of people don't realize like the mana system is your enemy but it's the reason why you play magic yeah it's it's nice having that scapegoat to some degree yeah (laughs) But okay, we're not actually just talking about why the mana system is awesome, though. No. So this is just a caveat. So well, we, we kind of are, if you think about it. Uh, fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But um, okay. Yeah, like I, I suppose, like the first little thing we can probably get into in regards to this whole thing is like properly understanding the mana system is the most important thing for anyone who wants to build their own decks really Mm -hmm. and like play magic at a good level and like the thing the thing that a lot of people need to realize is mana is the single most broken thing in all of magic (laughs) i mean look at look at ban lists (laughs) yes like for for any eternal format like there's a reason why most ban lists and restricted lists contain mana like, there's mm-hmm. a reason why people think that, like, Simeon Spirit Guide and Mox Opal should be banned. There's a reason why death... Like, <clears throat> if you listened to our our episodes on, like, breaking down decks in Modern, 
you'll realize mm-hmm. like the thing that we I, I kept coming back to over and over and over again was explaining why decks abuse the mana system. Mm-hmm. They cheat on mana somehow usually. And that was like you know that's why decks are powerful. Mm-hmm. And the ability to use that to your advantage is something that's very very important. So like. You know, if you're if you're someone who's like trying to brew and stuff like that, especially for older formats, you need to. A very important thing is figuring out like how are you personally, you know, abusing the mana system, as it were. Mm-hmm. Like even if you look so far as to like you know like the quotations fair decks, you know, like look at death and taxes. Death and taxes is still abusing the mana system via aether vial. Yep. You know, because free spells are free spells, right? Like. Mm-hmm. And, like, it's just something that, like, you know, you can only cast so many things before it gets bad, right? Like, pound for pound, Emrakul is the most powerful creature in all of Magic. I am willing to bet a freakishly large amount of money that no one has, like, no one in an actual competitive environment has hard cast an Emrakul. <laughs> Even though we've specifically built the Dex mana base so that we have that option available to us. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure people have, but like, maybe, like, eh. <laughs> I suppose like limited. That was an option with with elves. True, that was an option in elves. But even then, they're still cheating on mana with Gaia's Cradle. Fair. Right? <laughs> like, you know, the reason why Emrakul is such a dominant force in the formats it's in is because you're putting in in play for usually three mana, mm-hmm. or one. You know. But yeah, that's what like that's what you see in a lot of the other formats is that it's always something involving mana, um, at, because it's just such a core part of the game. It, and mana is the piece that balances the game. And when you start breaking the mana system, it throws off the balance. And that's and that's why that's kind of the the piece that's used. So yeah, something that um, a lot uh, something a lot of people like to point out actually. You know, it's a very common thing. Like, man, look at the power nine. Three of the cards are blue. It's like. Look at the power nine. Five of the car or six of the cards are mana. Yeah, like that. That's actually a really good point. Actually, it's like, oh yeah, three of the cards are blue, blue, so broken. But it it's so easy to just ignore that and not go. Well, if you look at the other six cards, there, you know. Yeah, like they're all they all produce mana, and they're all colorless too. But um, <laughs> and they're all free. Um, but I mean, like. It's saying something that some of the some of the cards that people consider the most powerful cards in Magic produce mana. Yeah, and like even thinking along those lines, like why is Ancestral Recall such a good Magic card? Because it's cheaper than it should be for what it gives you. It mm-hmm. breaks the mana rule. Same yep. for Time Walk. Time Twister is just a freakish Magic card in general. There's uh, we're just gonna leave that one. <laughs> yeah. I love that card. Um... <laughs> But okay, so mana's sweet, mana's broken. How how do we use this? Like, if we are gonna if we're gonna build a deck in standard or block constructed, um, (laughs) you know, how are we gonna use these tools to build a deck? Because we're not. Because here's the deal: in standard, you're not breaking things in half with time walks and moxes and things like that. So, you know, how can we apply this? So this is another thing that a lot of people never really think about when it comes to like deck building and stuff like that. But like, um, standard is 
very much defined by the lands that are in it. Like, and, ev- uh, so I, I just want to say really quick that this this was really fascinating when you said this. Actually, when we started deck building for um, for that block deck. Yep. But uh, sorry, I, I didn't mean to interrupt your flow there. Oh, I just it, it's, it's, I, I just find this point incredibly fascinating. Yeah, like <laughs> um, it's something that you know Patrick Chapin has brought it before, which is where like I learned this concept from, and it's like. The cards, like, the mana available in a format defines that format. It defines what you can do in that format. The reason why um, Cons of Tarkir Standard was so wonky, like, you know, you saw four and five color decks, was literally because there was fetch lands and dual lands that were fetchable, Mm -hmm. which allowed you to do absolutely insane things. You know, like, this whole conversation from Block Constructed started because, you know, like, I was looking at the available cards in Ixalan Block Constructed, and I saw that we had Glacial Fortress and we had Drowned Catacombs, Mm -hmm. which, at its core, is such a good basis for an Esper deck that, you know, like, well, what do we have available from that? We have the the dual tap lands that tap Mm -hmm. for two colors mana. And suddenly it's like, the whole world opens up to you for what you're able to do when you're, like you have the ability to build almost any uh, shard mana base. Like, mm-hmm. you know, like, so you, like, just so much is open to you as a result of that, like, you know, like, so, like, if you want to play, you can, as long as you're willing to be base blue, you can build Esper. As long as you're willing to be mm-hmm. base black, you can build Grixis, and so yeah. on and so forth. Like, that's the I one... I mean, if you're building a deck, why wouldn't you want to be base blue? Exactly. Like... <laughs> Yeah, so, like, suddenly it's like, you know, we're building this block-constructed deck, and we're casting double blue on turn three, double white, or double black on turn four, Mm -hmm. and, like, and that's completely viable and something that we have done. Yeah, it's normal, like, and, you know, I mean, obviously, whenever you branch out with your mana, you get a little little punished sometimes, but... You're you're always going to get that whole mana sucks part of the conversion going, right? Because sometimes you get color screwed. It always happens. But with the the consistency with which we can, you know, know, we can turn for Settle the Wreckage or Veraska's Contempt or, you know, insert insert cards here. Well, well, turns one and two we're casting, you know... uh, Opt into Ozkanta into uh, Cancel. Yeah, opt into Ozkanta into Cancel and, and just doing things like that and it's it's astounding like and and when we started building building that deck and and you said well what does the mana do and then we built backwards from there it, that was that was eye opening for me i know that sounds dumb because i'm but i but i'm a person who always looks at a card and i'm like this card is cool how can i make it work instead of looking and saying this is this is the this is the most basic resource of magic mana is the most basic resource here, this is my foundation for everything. No matter what format I'm playing in, this is the foundation. And what can I build on that foundation? Mm-hmm. Like it makes so much sense when you when you finally say it, and I and I heard it. But like, you know, I think if we you know if we would if we would have gone the other direction, the deck wouldn't have been as good. <laughs> yeah. Like even just in general of the cards that we chose. Yeah. Like starting with the mana base and going, okay, well. We can we can put these cards in. We can put these cards in. Oh, we got some double cards here, but that we can do that because we have this. And you know, I mean, and eventually one of our finishers is a, uh, you know, eight, what eight drop that costs th- that has three white symbols in it. So yeah, 
<laughs> but which we have so cast on turn eight, like consistently, like, you know, reliably. It's like yeah, we have done that, and that's ridiculous. Um, <laughs> but so it's just, but that just goes to show you how important mana is in such a restrictive format. We're playing with one bl- one set actually of magic cards because Excellent only has one block right now, mm-hmm. and you have this one set of magic cards, and. It's not a not really like a multicolor set by any means. It's it really kind isn't. of a two color. It's a two color set basically, mm-hmm. and we've actually built a deck that functions quite well in my opinion, and is fun to play. And it's you know it's really cool. And a lot and that all stemmed from what does our mana allow us to do? Mm-hmm. It's, there's just so much power in that that I think it's. It, it, I, I'm I'm going over and over this point because I think it's that important. Like it's just so, it was so mind blowing for me. And I'm sure some people out there that are way better than me. I'm sure most people out there because because they're way better than me, are already understand this and stuff. But it's like, if you don't, it's just stop and look at this. And man, like that was really really cool. <laughs> well, like like that that leads like you know because we were we were looking at decks right, and we're like we're looking at a black white vampires deck. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, you know, we're, you're you're flipping through, and you show the white, and you show the black, and you click over once more, and suddenly it shows all your lands that can tap for white or black. Mm-hmm. And I saw drowned Cat- drowned catacombs, I saw mm-hmm. glacial fortress, and I'm just like, like you know, like we finish we finish that, and I'm like, can I just look at all of your available cards, and like you bring it up, I'm like let me look at all of your lands. <laughs> and then you showed me. I'm like, I have an idea. Let's build a deck. <laughs> it's like, you know, that's just like, like seeing the mana and the available options for it. Where it's just like, you know, like, like you said, like it's like I saw it, and my mind just starts to worm. Like, what can we do? And like, not not what should we do? It's what can we do? Because we should do anything we can do. You know, like we should. Fair like, enough. <laughs> pushing the envelope is like you know the best way to find out what you can do in a format so like you know like like yeah it's like the the, the actual like you know like like let's build the deck put as much sweet shooting as we can because the mana allows us to do this and it's like this deck is just sweet right like mm-hmm. you know this is like what this is un- yet you know I, I don't want to say yet another success but like I, this is a successful deck that literally started because I saw eight dual lands. Yep. Like, <laughs> oh, man. man. And, yeah, and this and this is something that flows to all formats. I mean, you know, obviously some formats your mana is a lot easier. Mm-hmm. But you know, if you're, you know, the more the more colors you're playing, the more the more stress that puts on the cards that you can put in your deck. You know, you can't if you put too much pressure on that mana base to cast cards. It's gonna cause problems for you, um, mm-hmm. even in even in formats like Legacy. You know, <laughs> where you can where you're constantly fetching untapped dual lands that don't deal damage to you, and you know, playing the next best thing to Black Lotus and all that stuff. But I mean, even in Legacy, though, you know, there's a reason <laughs> why Deathrite Shaman is everywhere. You know? Yep. Like. It is Deathrite Shaman is considered like one of the most powerful creatures in the entire format. This is a format that contains Grizzlebrand and Embercool. 
Yes. Like, that's and decks that something. play both those cards. Yes. Like, and <laughs> Deathrite Shaman is considered like possibly better than them. Like, yeah. You know. And then, I mean, like, it's better than Tarmogoyf. It's better than Delver. It's better than. <laughs> yeah. Like, there's a reason for that. Yeah. That's because it fixes your mana very, very well. Yeah. And it's easy to cast. Yeah. Black <laughs> but... or green. That card is unreasonable, and I hate it yeah. with a passion. One mana planeswalkers are sweet. Um, Why is it not a one-one? Yeah, that's the big, uh, the big kick in the nuts. It's like <laughs> it's one of those things. It's like if this card was a one-one, it would be significantly worse. Like it'd probably still see a lot of play, but it'd be significantly worse. It wouldn't be that much worse. It just wouldn't be able to block profitably my goblin lackey. I know. Well, it's like like monastery swift, swift spear. Mm-hmm. Like, like if that card was a one-one, how bad would it be? Uh, pretty bad, actually. Right, like the fact that it's a one-two is bonkers. Yeah, like that's huge. <laughs> but okay, that's a little off-topic. But just a titch. All right. So, so there's our giant rant about looking at your mana, I guess. But yeah, it, it, it's something that you really need to keep in mind. It's mana is the fundamental building block of anything, any deck in Magic. Um. Even decks that don't run mana, <laughs> yes. as stupid as as stupid as that sounds, even decks like, you know, Manaless Dredge or Charbelter and stuff, still need to understand the mana system and look at and see how that affects them. Yeah, well, like that's the thing about like Charbelter is a deck that plays a single land in the entire deck. Mm-hmm. Half the deck still produces mana. Mm-hmm. Like it's just doing it in a different way, right? Like Manaless Dredge. The reason why, like, it's able to not play mana, but it's still, it's still, like, abusing the mana system. Like, even though it doesn't produce mana, it's still abusing it, right? Because it's still, like, it's using things that it gets to cast for free, and it's using those free creatures to cast its spells instead. Mm -hmm. So, like, yes, it's not using the mana system, but it's still a very clear example of, like, what happens when you abuse it. Yeah. Because free spells are powerful, in case people are unaware. They're good. They're quite good. You know, but... <laughs> look at Gitaxian Pro being banned in modern. Yeah. In, so... it, look at it being being affected in every format it's in except Legacy. <laughs> are, you, are you saying that Gitaxian Pro is not effective in Legacy? No, it's they, they have had to take action against it in oh, every yes. format okay. it's in except yep. Legacy. Yes. including vintage and that's saying something yes (laughs) but free spells are powerful yeah so cool all right let's move on to your next point since we've we've ranted about that one enough all right um very similar to what was already brought up um about like the importance of like having a good mana system is limited um it is a very common thing for people to build, like, they kind of build their limited mana base wrong. And it's not necessarily due to, like, sometimes it's as a result of them drafting a little bit awkward. But other times, like, it's just, it's just very easy for people to build their mana base wrong in general, right? Mm-hmm. Like, um... The most common thing you see when someone builds a, their mana base for limited is they're going to go 9 and 8. 
a large a larger majority of that of the time than people realize, nine and eight is actually the incorrect number. Um, you actually want to be ten and seven, because ideally, when you draft your deck, you don't want an even split of say blue and green cards. You want a majority of one card or the other, and as a result of that, you want to reliably have that color. So you actually want to play a larger ratio than just a single card. <laughs> And, like, especially in decks where, like, if you're base green and you have green... If you have, like, you know, mana dorks that can tap for mana of other colors and stuff like that, or you have, like, um, rampant growth and things like that, hitting, like, playing 10 and 7 green versus blue is more important because your green allows you to get your blue mana. Mm -hmm. And that's something that, like, a lot of people don't take into account when they're building their mana base. And another thing that a lot of people don't realize is, like... Um, in regards to like drafting dual lands, just because a uh, land doesn't tap for your base color, doesn't mean it's bad. Um, like I drafted a Dragon Skull Summit in a base blue Grixis Pirates deck for the Invitational. Like I I had uh, four black cards and two red cards in my entire deck, and I still took it because it's it, like by Drafting that allowed me to play more blue sources, and my blue sources were where I got my treasure from. Hmm. And that was a very important thing, because those those treasure also fixed my mana. So it plays mm -hmm. the same thing, right? Like, I had, I want to say, like, nine blue sources in the deck, because, you know, obviously I had to make cuts somewhere, but I was able to play with only a single mountain in my deck as a result of that. You know? Hmm. I had a single mountain for two red cards because I also had the Dragon Skull Summit and I had a bunch of treasures to cast said red cards. Yeah. Like, you know, that's something I'm <laughs> I was able to do because of like just the you know, the way I drafted and the way everything worked out, <laughs> my mana was very good to allow me to actually play three color. Yeah. Yeah. And you should you should almost never be doing the devil's mana base. Yes. Uh, for those who are unaware the Devil's Mana Base is you're playing a three-color deck, and you play, you know, six of one basic, six of another, and six of a third. So you're playing six, six, six lands. lands yeah. That also is, some... Yeah. That is an atrocious mana base. It is extremely inconsistent. And dear God, what did you draft? Yeah. Like, it's okay to play to splash a color. So... I just want to say something too. Um, so splashing is fine. Splashing is sometimes cracked. Is a lot of times cracked. There is, but there is no such thing as a free splash. Yes. I think people think that they can. They're like, oh, I can. I just get a free splash here, and it doesn't do anything to my deck. That is false. Mm -hmm. The the splash may improve your deck overall, but there will be. It will affect you, um, there's and a you price need to, to take. Yes, there is a price to pay for adding another color into your deck, and you n really need to think about it when you do that, and just understand the risk you're taking. Basically, uh, I just that's just one thing that drives me nuts. Some people are like, "Oh, it's just a free splash." It's like, no, 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 no. It may be a good splash, but it may not be. It's not free. <laughs> Yeah, that's the thing. Like, there there was actually multiple situations where, you know, like, 
I had a red card in my hand and I couldn't cast it because I didn't draw any of my treasure producers or a red, you know, mm-hmm. one of my two actual land red sources. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like even with you know, I had multiple ways in my deck that I actually produce treasure. You know, if I don't actually draw them. I still have a card rotting in my hand. It would literally be better as being any of the cards I cut for it, right? It'd be better than a ba- it'd be better as a basic land sometimes. Yeah, like that's just you know a price you pay. Yep, and you just yep just accept that risk. But so that that's just a little random little caveat I wanted to toss out to people is you know <laughs> nine and eight is a very easy mana base for people to immediately jump to but a lot of the time it is wrong um, i nine and eight a lot of the times it's I'll a lot it. nine and eight is a lot more common in sealed because you are more likely to have like an even split of one color versus another the big mm-hmm. thing is in draft because like l- little minor thing we're just going to go into this about draft draft is much better if you are primarily one color because and just have like a support color because like by having that one dedicated color you are more focused in that regard right like by having you know primarily green cards and secondary you know of you know noticeably less but you know still enough to still warm playing blue obviously blue cards um it actually increases your consistency because you are more likely to draw green cards, and then you are more likely to draw the force to be able to cast those green cards. Like, it actually helps your mana by committing more to one color than your secondary Mm -hmm. color. Just minor little tip about when it comes to actually drafting. (laughs) Just toss it out there. Um, Something to add on to that, which a lot of people... I uh, don't fully understand. Like, there's always been that hemming and hawing between playing 16 lands, playing 17 lands, playing 18 lands in limited, and you know, then you kind of get into it in constructed formats. Like, well, this control deck should have played 24, 25, 26, maybe even 28 lands. I've seen control decks go up to. Being off by a single mana source in your deck building is much less noticeable than anyone fully understands (laughs) um frank karsten actually did an article recently where he talks about um because there's that big debate you know should you ever play 41 cards in a limited deck Mm -hmm. and frank karsten being the literal walking hyper geometric calculator that he is did the math on the numbers Uh, mathematically speaking, after his tests, the answer is no. But he also, like, doing his research into this also brought him up to the the interesting little fact that, like, the difference between playing 17 versus uh, 18 lands in the decks he was working on, this is, and this deck was entirely forests and colonial tuskers. <laughs> so... The flattest possible power level you can imagine. Yeah, that yes. was, it was very intentional that he did it that way. The difference was literally like 0.13 or some shit mm-hmm. in how much it affected the consistency of the deck. That's hmm. it. And like, that is in a very flat power level of a deck, obviously. 
But like mm-hmm. this was this wasn't you know for him going from seventeen lands to eight to eighteen lands you know forty to forty one. This was forty and forty both decks seventeen to eighteen. The difference in how much it affects the consistency of the deck was extremely minuscule, and that's something mm-hmm. people need to realize. Like you know. I've gotten into arguments with people over playing Evolving Wilds in control decks because I like to, they think they're terrible because it reduces your chance of drawing a land. The amount it actually affects that is so unbelievably minuscule that it only affects, like, you will get punished for it maybe 2% of your games. And some people, you know, they might care about that 2%, right? And but you know like the two percent goes both ways. Sometimes you're two percent less likely to draw land means you're two percent more likely to draw an answer. Yeah, like it does go both ways, and the same thing applies to limited as it does constructed, right? Like you know it like it applies to anything involving an actual factual mana base. The difference of one land is much less than people realize. Like obviously the point of magic is to limit the variance, right? You want to do it, have it be as good as possible to give yourself the best chance of winning. But point of competitive magic. The point of competitive magic is to make your deck as consistent as possible. This includes the mana base. But yes. fretting and being like hemming and hawing over whether or not you should play, you know, one more land versus not one more land is almost not worth the mental strain if you're not playing for something very very important right yeah unless you're one of those people where the qual- the quality of people you're playing against is so high that you need half percentage points uh-huh. to or quarter percentage points to to eke out getting you know those wins because everyone is such at a high level like <laughs> it's one of those things like and and guess what if you're listening to our podcast you're not playing against any of those people more than likely yeah, i was gonna say why are you listening to us talk if you're one of those people yeah because you should be telling us what to do yeah. and i mean uh you know who, who knows maybe lsv likes listening to us talk sure we can dream we can dream all right <laughs> <laughs> Then me and LSV would have something in common. We both like listening to me talk. <laughs> <laughs> like, so, yeah, with with constructed decks, a lot of times I kind of have defaults I go to and adjust from there just because I feel like if I sit there and stress over the number of lands to put in, it just, I don't know. I feel like that stress hurts me more than the, you know, if I was off by like one lands or two lands or something like that, like I'll go back and adjust and stuff, especially after talking to you because you're way better at about looking at mana bases than me. But like, it's, I feel like it's like, okay, I'm playing this type of deck. I'm going to put this amount of lands in first and we'll go from there. Mm-hmm. But I mean, it's, it's one of those things too, where it's like, um, I'm, I'm one of those people. I, I'm really weird. I'm just going to put this out there. <laughs> like, I I constantly look up control deck lists for every format I play in, because I enjoy playing control. Yep. Almost the first thing I do every time I find a deck list that I like is I'll cut a land immediately. <laughs> Why? Like, because I always feel like they play a few too many lands. Okay. So, like, it's a very, very common thing with control players where 
they really, really don't want to get land screwed, right? Like, yeah. they expect to flood out, they don't want to get land screwed. So, they'll play sometimes too many lands. And I would rather get land screwed than land flooded. Hmm. I don't know why. It's just a personal preference. I know like, you tilt like a beast when you get flooded. I tilt like a beast in general, but yeah. Like yes. I tilt more when I flood, so I'll trim like, you know, I'll go from twenty six to twenty five or from twenty seven to twenty six, right? And just put in a uh, you know like usually I'm putting in a card that they're not playing at all, but I really like. Like Supreme <laughs> Will or something like that. <laughs> just like just one of them. I was like, oh let's just toss this in here. You know, it could be useful, right? It's usually some. It's usually something like Supreme Will, which can also help fix my mana. Just saying. Just saying. Just saying. Like I'm just like, yeah. all right, let's do this. <laughs> like, like, yeah. you know, it, and and like I said, it affects the actual percentage of the deck so minuscule, but it's just something that I almost universally do. Fair enough, man. <laughs> I'm okay with that. I always, I always shoot way low. I or I used to shoot way low on lands. And I still think I probably do to some degree. So like I always try to like, I'm like, I would play this many lands in it, and I always put like two more in than that, mm. <laughs> and, and I usually hit about the right amount. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. So that's why. Yep. Weren't we once having a conversation about like an EDH deck of yours? And I'm like, how many lands you play? You're like 33. I'm just like, what? <laughs> I don't even know what I don't even know what you're supposed to play. I'm like I'm like you play a thirty your deck is lands like <laughs> it was like, like a long time ago or something like that. My soul, you ruin it so much. <laughs> How many do you even play in EDH? I don't even know. Uh, depending on your commander and your strategy, you probably want to have around forty mana sources. Yeah. Some people say you should play fifty mana sources. Pretty sure Karn is like fifty percent mana. That sounds boring as shit, but okay. Well, Karn's also doing, you know, broken things with said mana, so... Yeah. I also don't really like EDH that much, so I'll just take my home runs or my strikeouts. <laughs> as you do. As you do. It's not competitive, so it doesn't matter. Yeah. It shouldn't be competitive, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> we don't need another bonus episode right now. Uh, <laughs> but... It's it's really funny that we sit here and we're like, God damn, mana is like so f***ing important, and you have, gosh, I have to remember to edit that one out. Um, <laughs> and and you have to, you know, mana is super important, and you need to make sure you're casting your spells and don't overstress your mana base. And then we're sitting here talking about, ah, if you're off by one, it's fine, and and how much we like cutting lands, but it feels like we're talking on both sides of our mouth. <laughs> I mean, yes and no, right? Like, I, 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 yeah, you know, I know. Like that one land I trim, I do very carefully figure out what's the best land to trim and stuff like that, right? And like, yeah, I've like, seen you harrow over like just the most ridiculous land choices ever, like and stuff like that. You're like sitting there, like sweating it, basically. It matters, right? <laughs> I'm pretty sure I've seen you stress. Like, it's like, oh man, do I cut? Do I cut the the um, uh, foil full art island? <laughs> or do I cut cut the beta island? <laughs> Priorities, because <laughs> obviously you got to play the mix of them, right? You got to get that full. Get I play full a mix of up. lands in a lot of my decks just because I know people hate it, <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not high enough qual like high enough up there to 
play against people who pay attention. Actually, there are people who pay attention, I know, but... Well, so I mean, I'm like, just, yeah. I don't think we're really counteracting our own our own statements, right? Because, like, no, what your mana not. allows you to do is important. Yes. Like, as in, like, you know, what you can put in the deck, but trimming on a land or playing one too many lands impacts that so little, right? It's when suddenly yeah. you're like, well... I'm just going to cut five lands from this deck and see what happens. Then you start running into issues. Yeah. I mean, I'm guessing the fewer lands you have in the deck, the more impact it has. <laughs> like, on, to some degree. On, on both sense of... On both sides of the fence, I suppose. Yeah, like... Well, I mean, like... So, like... Like, in my burn deck for a while there, before I added fetch lands, I was playing 18 lands. Mm-hmm. I mean... Because you're a heathen. That's greedy as that's hell, man. That's just greedy. <laughs> I played nineteen, and I thought you were over the top. <laughs> like that one more land, just that I couldn't do it. Nineteen, I was dude, fine with. Dude, like if you're gonna go, you go all out. And <laughs> I was, I, I'm like, I am gonna draw two lands, maybe three, and we're done. Like. <laughs> uh, the funny thing was, I was playing nineteen with fetch lands. So I was actually thinning more than you were. Yeah, I'm playing. I'm playing twenty with fetch lands right now, yeah. but because that was back before I had fetch. Before I was, I played fetch lands in the deck, and um, I was playing uh, flame rifts in the deck too, which makes me happy as hell. Mm. But, well, you know, but like, but like, I mean, but but I mean, the difference between eighteen and nineteen is a, is a much greater difference than the difference between twenty six and twenty seven. Yes, very like, much so. Mm-hmm. You know, like you're going from like, you know, instead of a third of you're playing less than a third of lands in your deck versus I'm, <laughs> yeah. I, I'm trimming on you know almost half the lands in my deck. Yeah, yeah, you know, like that extra ten percent, pretty pretty big there for you know how much that one percent matters. Yeah, and I mean like it, yeah, it increases the percent, but it's still not like you're knocking it way over the edge here it's not like yeah oh going from 18 to 19 and you're changing your you know you have a 10 percent swing now like <laughs> yeah i mean you know, but, that, that's the whole point of it right like you know you're losing one percent you know as long mm-hmm. as you're not like well, what if we just play 15 lands in our burn deck <laughs> like there, there's a threshold where you're, it's yeah. like okay guys like, I mean, I'm it's a firm believer with, with that burn deck. It's like if you're gonna do it, you're gonna do it all the way. Like I'm not half-assing this. Like, like I'm gonna make an aggressive burn deck, and it is going to be as aggressive as possible, and it will lose to itself some of the portion of the time because it's so damn aggressive. <laughs> you know, if you if you cut fire blast, you could probably get away with like fourteen or fifteen lands. I I don't I don't understand what you're saying. <laughs> I'm trying to think. I don't even know if you have enough burn spells to play 14 or 15 like, lands. I don't like. Yeah, I, I don't understand. <laughs> it's like like somebody suggesting cutting price of progress. It's like okay, then why? Like why would you even play this deck? Like why don't I just put a stack of mountains there and just draw those and lose the game? Because that's basically what it would feel like. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> all right so so land lands are the only thing that produce mana and we're done right john nope 
Uh, one well, little. Well, thanks for picking that one up. I make this awesome <laughs> segue, and you're just like, Bleh. I said no. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. There's one more thing that people need to take into account when building a mana base. Um, for this, for this note. We're not counting Spirit Guides as mana base. We're not counting Lotus Petal as a mana base. Anything that is one-time use mana is not a mana base. It does yeah, not so add to your the, mana the base. The non-ephemeral right? things. <laughs> um, pro- let's. I suppose let's let's kind of go into Moxen for now. Um, okay. Not. Power not lit- not literal moxen. <laughs> okay, so the power nine moxen, just to put this out there, they are a land. Yes. If that doesn't use your land drop. <laughs> if you put a piece of power nine in your deck, you cut it for a you cut a land for it. That's just mm-hmm. what you do. You know? Yep. Um That's why I can have decks on Forge that don't follow the vintage ban list that literally run four lands. Yep. <laughs> okay. Mox Mox Opal? is a spell because mox opal is only good if you already have other artifacts right you cannot reliably count it as being part of your mana base even though sometimes it is part of your mana base chrome mox is a is a land Mm -hmm. because chrome mox you exile a spell to make it into a land drop Mm -hmm. mox diamonds is a Hmm. spell Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> because being forced to discard a land to make it an actual mana source means that you are actively impacting your ability to draw more lands. Mm-hmm. And that's just like a nice little caveat for people to think about in regards to that is like taking into account what you have to do to make them into a mana source. Mm-hmm. Um, if, it, if it costs you lands to make it into a mana source, it is a spell. Yes. <laughs> Even if it's technically free, you're still discarding a land to make yep. it into a mana source. Or if, or you're casting other spells to get there, yeah. Yeah, like um mana dorks kind of fall under this category very similarly. Um mm-hmm. due to the fact that like something like Birds of Paradise or Elvish Mystic, you need to cast them first and you can't use them the next turn. They themselves you they still count as a mana source for you, but they're basically half of a mana, and you kind of you can approach um, Mox Diamond and Chrome Mox the same way. They're basically half a mana, or sorry, uh, mm-hmm. Mox Diamond and Mox Opal. They're yeah. you, they're basically half a mana, just like any mana dork is, because like if you play enough, you know, Elvish Mystics and Llanowar Elves and all that kind of stuff, you don't need to play as many lands as a result because you're using them to ramp yourself up faster. But you can't, you know, play exclusively them. You know, you can't play 12 different mana dorks and 8 forests and think your deck's actually going to function. Yeah. You know, those 12 different mana dorks are effectively only, like, 6 to 8 actual, or 5 to 7 actual mana sources, you know? Yeah, if you, if you can't get them on the field, they don't do you a lot of good. Yeah, so like that's just another thing in regards to like you know building decks and stuff like that that you wanna you wanna take that into account if you're adding mana dorks to your deck. Mm-hmm. And or Mox. I mean, yeah, it's like it's like with unexpected. Like we have exactly enough lands in the deck to cast Emrakul. Yes, but 
there's no way you ever would do that. I mean, you normally don't even cast a spell legitimately anyways, but like if you actually cast a spell, it would be with all the, the dumb mana dorks and stuff in the deck. Yeah. You know, that that was like one of my caveats when we built the deck, though, is we had to be able to hard cast Emrakul because I said so. I, I like it. It's nice having a backup plan. Yep. <laughs> Not the Blightsteel Colossus or the Omniscience hard casting those. Uh, we got to have the option of hard casting that Emrakul just in case. You might have to discard your Omniscience. Yep. <laughs> I don't know. Whatever. <laughs> that deck doesn't hard cast any of those cards if it can help it. Cool. I really hope not. Yeah. Although you have hard cast Omniscience before. Yes, I have. Yeah. Quotations hard cast. Quotations hard cast. But, okay. Do you have anything else to say about mana, John? Or nah, you got most of it, most of it off your chest. That's a lot of my little ranting about mana. Just you know, once again, keep all keep in mind. You know, look at what the format, look at what the mana in the format is mm-hmm. before you before you go hog wild about what you want to do in it, right? Yeah. I mean, because that's that's going to be the key that says this is this is okay or this is not okay in a lot of ways. I mean, you can try to force it sometimes, but eh, guess what? <laughs> it may not may not turn out as great for you as you want it. Sometimes you'll get lucky. I mean... <laughs> Other times you'll be staring at blue, 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 and you'll have Mountain Swamp Swamp in play. Yep. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah. That happens. <laughs> but, okay. Um. All right. Do you have anything else else you want to talk about, John? I have a minor rant. Very minor. I, I doubt it's minor, but okay. All right. So, Mark Rosewater posted a question on Twitter. It was it was a poll asking people's excitement level about Dominaria and whether or not they knew about Dominaria. This led to a gentleman responding. He's like, Dominaria is magic to me. But if I see even a trace of the Gatewatch or Eldrazi, I'm quitting magic and looking somewhere else for my cardboard fix. Which led to Morrow responding with, The Gatewatch will be seen on Dominaria. They are, main, they are characters in the current story. Mm-hmm. And... So many people responded to him saying that with just, like, outrage. Like, uh, how could you not assume this? Like, I don't get it. Like, it's like, this is just how things are right now. Like, so whether you like it or not, that's just what's going to happen. Yeah, it's like, they've been building these sets for two years prior to us ever seeing them. They can't just change on a dime, right? Like, you can't just ch- you can't just decide six months before a set release that you want to get. Yeah, you need to commission new art for your cards so they don't contain the Gatewatch in them. Yeah. Not only that, do people not like un- realize how little the Gatewatch actually have to do with the story? Like, no. <laughs> I don't. I don't know if like our pe- like. I've come to the conclusion that the majority of the world just doesn't understand how storytelling works. 
So I'm, I'm just going to use an example here. So people bitch constantly about Jace being the face of sets. Yes. All like they're like he's the face of sets all the time. All yes. the time. Every single time every single time there's a set Jace is the face of the set. And I think what happens is people mistake like the story with the cards that are good because a lot of times Jace is good and they print a Jace card because they usually would print a planeswalker every planeswalker in standard. Mm-hmm. That's part of our current gatewatch. But it's like in like the last like 5 years which we have like, you know, how many sets a year now? He's been the face of like two or three. Oh, well, like, yeah, like. <laughs> Return to Ravnica, Shadows of Rainestrad, and then. He's kind of, sort of. But that's, like, even that's debatable. Mm hmm. So, like, that's the whole thing. So, like, let's, let's start when this whole fiasco started. Yeah. Rise of the Eldrazi 2.0. Okay. We go to Battle for Zendikar. The yep. Gatewatch are front and center. Yes. All right. That's just you know I I will not I won't you, I won't you, argue with that fact. That is reality. You're setting up the Justice League, man. Yes. Right. Suddenly we go to Innistrad. Okay. We have Chase, who's kind of front and center. He's, we have Lil- he's a big. We'll say let's let's say he's the face of the set. We'll get yeah. we'll we'll throw it that one. We'll All say right. he's the 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 big part of the set. We have Liliana, who's yeah, the, buddy. She's she's the the hero of the story, mm-hmm. right? She's kind always of. the hero of the story. Yeah, kind of. But <laughs> if you actually read like the magic story, like you know the ones they release every week, you realize that the Gatewatch, while being around, are not the defining characters of that story. Emrakul is. Avacyn is, Sorin is, Nahiri is, the humans who are slowly being eaten by Eldritch Horrors are, right? Like, Mm -hmm. the stories revolve around those people. The Gatewatch just happened to be there. Mm -hmm. And then we go to Kaladesh. That story, you know, like, yeah, it focuses a lot on Chandra, right? Because that's Chandra's home plane. Like, you know... Like, it makes sense that, like, you're going to have Chandra be involved in it, but, like, who are, like who do the stories revolve around? It revolves around uh, Yeheni and Yeheni's interactions with the people around her, including Nyssa, don't get me wrong. It involves mm-hmm. the, the story between Chandra and her mother, who she didn't even know was still alive. Which, if you honestly are so blinded by your hatred of the Gatewatch that you can't ignore the fact Chandra is a member of the Gatewatch when you, like, read about her interactions with her mother, you're just terrible. <laughs> just saying, right? Like, mm-hmm. it's about Baral and his, like, secret past, you know, his not-so-secret past with Chandra and all that stuff. Like, yeah, Chandra <laughs> is the face of Kaladesh, but the story isn't necessarily just revolving around her. Mm-hmm. And then we go from Kaladesh to Amonkhet, and yeah, this is you know this is the 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 Justice League League show up and they kick down the door of the big evil base, and then they kind of just disappear. We suddenly we learn about Samet, we learn about Jeru, we learn about the gods, like. We learn about all these other things that, like, yeah, don't get me wrong, the Gatewatch is still around, right? There's still that little subplot going on. 
with um, it's actually Chandra and Gideon that free Samet, but we don't focus on the Gatewatch. We focus on everything else going on around it. Like there's there it, the most horrifying, depressing story they have ever released ever was literally a bunch of little short stories. And never the, even mentioned the Gatewatch, basically. Yeah, they never mentioned the Gatewatch. It's just talking about like people various, dying. <laughs> yeah, the various tales of people of Amonkhet dying. It doesn't revolve around the Gatewatch. And yeah, the Gatewatch show up for the last story with Bolas, right? But that's because they're not setting up the Gatewatch. They're setting up Bolas. They are showing mm-hmm. you just how much of a badass he is. By the way, he is. Yeah, for anyone not wondering. And like now we're on Ixalan. And once again, yeah, Jace is around, you know. But Jace is, like, he's more part of Vraska's story than Vraska is part of his story. Mm-hmm. And he's literally the only member of the Gatewatch on Ixalan. And, like, the story revolves around Hwatli and Angron and Vraska and her whole little thing, right? And, like, the story and, like, the search and all that thing, trying to get to where they're trying to go. And, like, <clears throat> the thing people need to realize is, like, the Gatewatch, the stories we're reading aren't about the Gatewatch. The Gatewatch is just the thing that ties all the stories together. It it's what draws people into reading the or, you know reading the next story in line, because it's something similar to what's going on that you've already seen, which makes it easier for your mind to connect with that story. Like yeah, like there's that one thing that you already know and are comfortable with going on, which makes it so much easier for you to, like, get drawn into this story and become comfortable with this story. Like, yes, the Gatewatch are around, but they don't dominate the story. They might dominate Standard, because f*** Gideon, but... (laughs) Yeah, people need to understand how storytelling works. Yeah. Like... I mean, it's funny. It's funny with like all the Gatewatch stuff because I don't re- really read the stories that much uh-huh. um, because I just don't sit around and read the stories all the time. But basically, anytime there's a story with Liliana, you let me know when I read that. Yeah, because they're almost <laughs> so, universally great. Because they're universally great. Because Liliana is universally great. But yeah, it's like that's yeah. I don't know. It's one of those things where it's like that's just kind of how storytelling works, and like. You know, it's like I, it, we can't sit here and be like, you have to like this because this is the correct way to do things. No, like we're not going to be like that. But but even if you don't like something here, here's the sad fact of it is that you're wrong. Like, like it's just that's just I mean, sorry, but that's the truth. Like there's just a, a good it's there's a good way to do things. And Magic's goal, I'm sorry, is not to cater to you over there who doesn't like the Gatewatch and wants mag- magic to be, you know, counterspell and standard. Like, like it's the, the, it, it's trying to cater to a lot of people. The thing is, the same people who are up in arms about the Gatewatch have this massive kill boner because of the art they released with Teferi, Karn, and Jura on it. Yeah. And like, the difference between, you know, the Gatewatch and them is the Gatewatch were created in a time when their storytelling didn't suck. Yeah. Like, so... And here's the thing with some of that is... Possibly, like... I mean... When those stories came out, 
and people were, and you were reading the magic stories, you're probably what, like fourteen? Probably. Like not necessarily us, but like but yeah. like that's the age like the people who like a lot of the like really like long term players who who know what the Weatherlight Saga is. Like or were around, so it's like you're a you know you're a teenager and or a, you know a young teen and all this stuff. You're like twelve, thirteen, fourteen, and you read these fantasy books and you're like, oh my gosh, this is so awesome. They did all these crazy things that I've, you know, that like you really haven't read till now because you haven't been reading adult fiction, <laughs> like or young adult fiction. You know, it's like it you're at like you have this like nostalgic impression of it because it made you feel good at the time and it impressed you at the time. Like, and I think recognizing some of that is an important thing. Like there's certain like media and music and movies and books and things and stuff like that, that I love that I absolutely love, but they're not as good as I actually think they are. And I can recognize that. Mm-hmm. Like, and I always use the example, and, and this is actually, like, the game Secret of Mana. Like, that is a very good game. Like, just straight up, I think it is. Mm-hmm. But I don't think it's as good as I think it is. I think it's a great game. It's, like, one of my favorite games of all time. And I went back and played it recently and stuff and got to see all the problems with it all the game design problems with it. And, and I'm like, I'm like, Oh, I'm like there, like this game has significant flaws to it. Like there it's, it doesn't hold up as good as I thought it would. It still holds up fine. It's still a fun game. But like the reason I love that game so much is because of the emotional attachment that I have to that game because of the point I was in my life when I played it and who I was playing it with. I played that game a lot with my brother and that experience of playing that game with him was some of like, was awesome. Like it, it's still some of like, like my favorite memories ever. And I think being able to separate that out, that I have this huge emotional attachment to this thing and, and appreciating that and, and, and still loving that, but realizing that this thing is not as good as it actually was, is also something that you need to embrace to some degree. Like, and I think the magic story is like that too, because goddamn. I know some of the old magic story, not a ton of it, but like it's, it's damn impenetrable. Like <laughs> there's so many, there's so many freaking proper nouns and things happening that really don't kind of make sense. And I don't know, man, like it's cool, but I think we need to step back and look at it for what it is. Yeah. Like I, I have read and I do enjoy uh, the book The Thran and The Brothers War. I've heard those books are great. Like, they're good, don't get me wrong, but I... I enjoy reading tense books. Yes. Like, <laughs> I used to, every year, I would read the Lord of the Rings trilogy and the Silmarillion. And that's the catcher right there. <laughs> every year in high school... Four years in a row, I would read that little quartet of books, and I enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. Right? I am kind of unique in that regard. I don't know because if any, most people how, don't like the Silmarillion. <laughs> I, I don't know how many people who listen to this have read the Silmarillion. The book is dense. 
like, like my brother my brother read the book and he reads a lot of shit and he's like yeah that book was hard to follow like <laughs> the first like page and a half of every single chapter told it's you the lineage like it told you the lineage of every character in that chapter and it like you think the whole like the hobbit thing is bad like you know this is biffer and boffer and boofer and blur yeah like it's worse you think it's you think it's hard following characters in in game of thrones (laughs) like son sit your ass down (laughs) (laughs) yeah Uh, but man i don't know like i don't want to shit on things people love because people love them for a reason and it's it's a very good reason but it's like Get some freaking perspective, too. I don't know. I kind of enjoy shooting on things people love. <laughs> You're a dickhead, like, though. <laughs> I'm, this is, here's, here's a, little, a little bit of a rant. <laughs> people who have a massive kill boner for the original trilogy of Star Wars... Oh, God. Don't say it. Don't say are it. <laughs> incapable of actually critiquing something. Like... All of them are stupid. Don't get that. I was saying, I, I can sit down, watch, and enjoy the original trilogy. Okay. Right? I enjoy it. Don't get me wrong. I like Empire. I like Return of the Jedi. The New Hope is okay. Everyone who complains about Hayden Christensen's terrible acting in the prequel trilogy apparently has never seen any of Mark Hamill in A New Hope. <laughs> like, don't get me wrong. I get he's acting, right? I, I, Mark, I feel like Mark, I'm going to have to edit this out. <laughs> Mark Hamill is f***ing great. He is, like, the greatest Joker of all time. Yes, like, hands I, down, hands like, down. And he's a hilarious person also. Like, yes. his Twitter is great. Like, I like Mark. But boy, howdy, he's a whiny little bitch in A New Hope. <laughs> And you know what? It's pretty like it's it's a theory that the reason why Hayden Christensen, I'm I'm pretty sure that's the actor's name, acts so terribly in the the middle one, not whatever. Sure, else. We'll take it, whatever one it is. The, the middle prequel movie. I don't even remember their names. Yeah, like yeah. is because he's trying to act like Luke Skywalker was in A New Hope, <laughs> like that. It's intentional. Like, he's playing towards that, right? Because, like, think of, like, Mark Ham, like, Luke Skywalker went from being this whiny little farm boy to getting his goddamn hand cut off to finally maturing into an adult. Anakin uh. Skywalker never got that chance. He went from being whiny to having a crush on someone when he's told not to have crushes on people to being burned alive by his best friends. <laughs> Like, don't get me wrong, the prequel trilogies have a lot of stuff wrong with them, but they are nowhere near as bad as people think. And also, for every motherfucker who implies that The Last Jedi is shitting on the original trilogy and saying that it, it's desecrating, like, you know, what they love about Star Wars, you're fucking retarded. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Like, do you, can you only watch, like, the same movie over and over and over again and not understand that things need to evolve worlds need to evolve like stories need to change right like that's just how things go the last jedi is still pretty good 
Like, I really enjoy it. I'm not blinded by the f***ing nostalgia goggles that every other Yahoo is, apparently. Rogue One So if you want to send us feedback, you can send us an email at thelocomed at gmail.com. We have a Twitter. Don't send us anything on it. Send it to John. Uh, I believe I'm at notjonathan47 if you wanna if you wanna send some hate mail. I'm kidding, but we're we're at the local meta PC. Are you done, John? Uh, Rogue One is still the best Star Wars movie. I agree with you 100. percent Alright, just putting that out there. Cool. So I'm losing my voice now. You're losing your mind. <laughs> but. Yeah, so with that, I guess we will catch you next time, maybe. (laughs) See ya.